to be joking. You've got to be joking. Now, when the treasurer wishes oh, to go no. there or not, I would forbid him going. Forbid him going to the Senate. To, uh, to uh, account this unrepresentative swell over there. Uh, welcome to the Unrepresentative Store podcast, and Nick, welcome back to the dungeon. How you doing, man? I'm really good. I'm currently sit- sitting on an exercise ball. Of um, course. Because that's the the only thing that could uh, meet the extraordinary requirements of uh, my tallness to get up to the microphone. Um, it feels really good though, Rob. It feels like I'm, I'm getting a workout with my body and my mind. Well, the little, little uh, insight, you know, a little behind the scenes here. Usually we struggle to get height, like the actual mics up to our mouth to talk for these podcasts. This is one of the few times where we're actually going down. We need we need yeah, less height. Yeah. And and length. Length is always no, an issue as length, well. Length length clearly becomes the main issue for us here. Yeah. It's a historical has always been about height, but is increasingly becoming about length and not height. Of course. Which is a very uh, meaningless, boring trend that no one cares about. Yeah, well, d- no point talking about that then. Uh, did you do anything on the weekend, Nick? Have you been up to anything fun? Uh, no. You know what, though, Rob? No masks anymore. So, that's really good, being at work, not having to wear a mask, being able to go out, hit the town, so to speak, Rob. Go for a dance and not have to wear masks. Exactly. I will make an apology um, for my voice. I Maybe you can tell it sounds a, li- a bit messed up. I, it has been mysteriously broken for like three weeks or four weeks now. Well, you've, really had this, you've had this strange like sickness for what seemingly has been the last couple of months that's yeah. not COVID. I know. And it's tough out there for people who have sicknesses that aren't COVID, but you know, flu-like. In many ways. Oh yeah, absolutely. You just rattle through at tests, you know, and you just think maybe this one will be the one that confirms it. Never is, Rob. Never is. Yeah, it's a real shame. But I tell you, at work, it's really embarrassing. I go up to people, and I'm like, "Hello," and then my like voice breaks, and it's really yeah, they're like laughing at me. And um, yeah. Well, my I, self-esteem is at all-time low, Rob. So I saying. think as someone is with a quite naturally high voice compared to most. I do struggle with that every now and then when you get, when you start speaking a bit too loud and it just goes, unfortunately that's, that's your volume limit and it just cracks, cracks under the pressure. Do you think you kind of masculinely compensate by going to the gym all the time for your high voice? Uh, um, That's hard to say really. I think I go to the gym (laughs) for other reasons, but we'll move that to one side. That's the only reason. I think that's the only reason. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Whatever makes you happy, Nick. Oh, this is silly. This is the silliest start we've ever had to a podcast, Rob. It's silly season leading into the election at the moment. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's almost halfway. It's over halfway through, Rob. I know, which is good, I think. Yeah, I think so. Because hopefully Scott Morrison loses this election and then then heads on down to the backbench. Hey, this is a neutral podcast, Rob. You know, do you think he'll resign if he loses the election? Hopefully, I. I think what I want to say here is any person that is trying to scare people about climate policy in twenty twenty two, 
Just get in the bin. Well, hold on, sunshine. Hold on, sunshine. We'll get there. You can't hold me back, man. So, Rob, Abo was sick with the virus. The vi of sorts. So, I don't know if you've heard of Jason Clare. He's a minister of some... Shadow minister of something. He fronted the cameras as all of the senior ALP people were doing while Albo was sick. And he did such a good job at the press conference. The um, media people at the end were asking him like, oh, why, why aren't you up here every day instead of Albo? It seems like the voters would want you instead. Um, so That's a tough one. Very tough one for Labour. But I mean, it shows that they did well with, I think, their, their senior team showing their faces a bit more while Albo was sick. Yeah, absolutely. And also, I think what the Labor Party, I think we discussed this last week, what the Labor Party was really happy about with Albo getting sick is that it shifts all the focus onto Morrison. And he's just, a, a, he's just you know, a ticking time bomb until he says something stupid or yeah. lies. So, yeah. you know, I think that was another good thing that come from it, I suppose. Yeah, but uh, Albo is back out now on the campaign. Um, ScoMo did have a quick go at him saying, look at what Albo did. He didn't get up to anything while he was in ISO. While I was in ISO, I was negotiating submarine deals and all this stuff, sending foreign yeah. aid to Ukraine. I mean... Which, uh, you know, let's let's be honest right now. Parliament's dissolved. Albo can't actually do anything. He couldn't He's do anything the opposition anyway. leader. He's the opposition leader. Yeah, well, I don't think we need to give that one any more oxygen than it... Than it yeah. yeah, okay. Obviously... I could see how someone in a position might be like, uh, why not? I'll make this jab at him. But obviously, substanceless. It's amazing. For someone that's been, in my opinion, the laziest Prime Minister of all time, he does like to talk about how much work he does. That's true, yeah. Oh, by the way, last night he posted a picture of uh, his Sunday night curry setup, which went viral on the internets. Because there's just a photo of his chicken korma and you can just really clearly tell that like there's chicken in there that's like raw still. Yeah, not cooked chicken. I don't get it though, man. Bit is of it like rare fully chicken. staged? Is it just where they weren't eating that or is it like Maybe an onion um, or something that we, it looks like chicken? No, nah, I think that was chicken. Maybe he's marinating the chicken and actually hasn't cooked it yet. Oh, it's just like doing it for the photo op. Yeah. I Which mean, like surely you'd, like, it takes, what, at most 20 minutes to cook, fry off some chicken? Yeah. Something's not right here, Rob. Like, I don't understand. Something's up. And, yeah. you know, we do know he loves his curries. He uh, does, yeah. I don't know how that makes him credible to be Prime Minister, but we live in Australia well, for some reason. Well, he shouldn't eat that, man. He'll get sick. Oh, no. I. It'd be so funny if, like, in a few days it's like, Scott Morrison has food poisoning and won't be able to <laughs> do the campaign trial. That I mean, that would be kind of funny. Yeah, I'll be honest. Well, I mean, we'll see what happens, Rob. Let's see. Uh, Nick, uh, I think it was yesterday, actually. The Labor Party launched its campaign. Officially, which right means Right here in Perth. Yeah. And it's weird, obviously, they're having an official launch over halfway into the campaign. Uh, but it is all kind of a symbolic, isn't it, Rob? Just a, a moment for them to stand on the platform Unveil a bunch of new policies, which they did. Yeah. Stuff about affordable medicine and uh, uh, housing affordability, all that kind of stuff, EVs. So, And one thing they did as well, and I think this will be a running theme, particularly here in WA, and we'll get to that later in the election, is um, 
they used Mark McGowan as a bit of a uh, prop-up tool. A hype man of sorts. A hype man, if you will. And I think over the last few few years, since the 2020 election, I think it was 2020 or 2021, uh, WA state election, I think a lot of us have forgotten how good of a campaigner Mark McGowan is. Whatever you think about him as a politician, his campaigning and his message of, if you look at the stats and statistics, Labor are better economic managers, is just the best platform that Labor can ever run on. Because at the end of the day, most voters don't actually give a shit about climate change, identity politics, anything else. They only care if they have a few more bucks in their bank account. I don't know, Rob. Yeah, nine times out of ten, I might agree with you. I think this election, I don't know. I don't know. Some of these teal seats, maybe the other issues will cut through. But you do make a very good point in that Mark McGowan is a very good campaigner and a serious asset to the uh, Labour in WA, for sure. And we will be covering WA later on this episode, so don't you, uh, don't you worry. But Nick, as, as I alluded to earlier in the episode, what happened with um, this sneaky climate uh, tax? No carbon tax that came out yeah so give us the rundown on that one man well basically i think the liberals are always looking for scare campaigns they can run against labor maybe they were just waiting until the the opportune time to strike but now what scomo and the gang are doing is running this line of oh labor's gonna do a sneaky carbon tax and it's based off a position that labor has supporting, uh, I guess, the evolution of a policy actually introduced under the Abbott government in 2013 um, about carbon offsets. And it's like, uh, it, it's like it was a, almost a guide um, under the current policy. But then if you like actually evolve the policy to its next stage, it becomes mandatory for these companies to actually pay these costs or do or offsets or whatever. Um, and Labor is supporting that a policy that the Liberals made, and then Scott Morrison is calling that a sneaky carbon tax. And obviously it's just... I mean, this is a play out of the 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 2010s decade, or the 2010s playbook, Rob. Oh, and it's it's one of the Liberal Party's... Um, if there was like a so fresh CD of Liberal Party's greatest hits, I think the carbon tax would be actually on there. <laughs> Absolutely. Probably Along, that, alongside Stop, Stop the, the Boats. boats. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, jobs and growth. Jobs and growth. Yeah. Uh, something about money and spending. Labor. Men, spend, money, spend, markets. Spends. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> obviously, just absolute bullshit, though. The it, even if it is a carbon tax, you know, carbon tax just is a very general term. It's just horrible that they would actually be attacking labor on something like this, like climate change. I don't know why they think it's a good idea as well, because it's not going to go well in the teal independent seats. No, and um, it is very clear that this uh, coalition, let's call it, because I, I, you know, I think I actually feel sorry for the liberals here, but this coalition is not committed to climate action at all, particularly the nationals, which uh, we saw over the week Matt Canavan, uh, whose Twitter bio is Matt Proud Aussie Canavan, Say that 2050 net zero is dead or was dead. Uh, he says is dead in the water, um, which is uh, obviously completely not the policy allegedly of the government. Scott Morrison very quick to come out and say that's not true. Net zero by 2050 is is still uh, legislated, confirmed, and and whatnot. It shows Rob really that what happened. Remember that last year we had that big 
few weeks of oh my god we're gonna get are we gonna get net 50 or net zero by 2050 or not are the nationals gonna support it and they did this big backroom deal the nats and the libs and they emerged saying don't worry guys we've negotiated for net zero by 2050 and we didn't know the details about that now it's come out that that deal deal in air quotes was nothing more than just a a vague commitment well, it's just a vague commitment to to doing it. There's no actual there's no actual deal that was put in place. It was basically an understanding that the Nats would notionally support the idea and the Libs would b- agree to throw some money at the regions. But I don't think that money's and, actually been allocated, though. And you say throw money to the regions. It's not to the regions per se. It's to four seats in the regions. Yeah, I mean, and you know, no no actual information about how that money's spent anyway. What's it, what it's actually going to go to. So, yeah. Reach is a very general term. I think if if you're really, really worried about climate change, you can't be looking at this party seriously, right? And I, mean, I, I try and... Look, I'm trying to be as unbiased as possible. I think you are. But it, I can't do it anymore, man. This party doesn't have any climate policy. It hasn't had one for fucking 20 years. Yeah. Since Kyoto. And why are people putting up with it, you know? Well, maybe they won't be, Rob. And it, I think there, you know, why is Scott Morrison running a, a sneaky carbon tax policy? Clearly, they they think in their election calculus that these seats in Queensland they really need to hold on to. It's going to be more valuable for them electorally to say something like it's a sneaky carbon tax. But are they re- are they underestimating the challenge of the teal independence here? It's going to give more fuel to those independents, and you know they lose five six seats to independents they're going to be in a position where they need to, in future, always rely on these independents to form government. Yeah. So... Do you think the Teal independents will actually get in the way of much of the Liberal Party's actual policy, though, apart from climate policy? I Well, it's really interesting you say that, Rob. I've been reading and listening to a lot of stuff about the Teal independents and what they would do in government. And they might not do what you saw in 2010, where the Gillard Labour minority government signed a formal deal with four independents and Adam Bant where it basically said in exchange for this, 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 you will always vote for us in any vote. What it might actually be more like now is every single bill will be negotiated. It'll be a conscience vote as well. Yeah, well, the the independents or whatever, whoever form coali- a coalition with whatever major party, they will always guarantee supply, but they will n- debate every single piece of key legislation that comes on the floor so it might be a a case-by-case basis thing rob rather than a broadly support this in exchange for this yeah interesting something as well i want to talk about rob is the rise of of social media and you know that's been happening for a, a longer you know at least a decade plus probably more but it is ever increasingly important in elections and all the major parties are trying to get around it. Um, but Rob, I think there's like a, a, a side of this, a political culture we're not even exposed to because we don't use it on like TikTok and stuff that is reaching new voters potentially and exposing them to like a greater political awareness or different political culture. Uh, yeah, well, th- the thing is with social media is it's as much as it has opened up to baby boomers, it is still well and truly the domain of young people. And we've seen throughout history, and in particular right now, young people do not identify with conservatives, apart from young libs who are 
have like Benjamin Button disease. <laughs> Alien like, really. Yeah, they're weird people. Um and I'm willing to say that. Yeah, that's okay. Unlike unlike young Labour who are just really nice people. <laughs> <laughs> well, young libs are like a cut above your normal liberal voter. They're something special, but Yeah, we'll move that to one side. Um, so it is interesting to see that this this is a well and truly dominated space. One of the few so uh, media landscapes where the Labor Party is well and truly more popular than the Liberal Party. Yeah, certainly. And I just like I I'm just really interested in seeing if we'll see any changes in voting patterns among young people. If there'll be a greater separation um, of you know people voting for their parents or just swing voters in general among young people um, because of, you know, a, a political awakening of sorts. Because yeah. you're seeing that kind of thing play out in social media. You know, people greater awareness to things like climate change and, and key social issues like that. Uh, let's talk about WA. That's the state we're supposed to be talking about for this podcast, right? Yeah, well, let's get into it. WA, um, important state uh, for, well, is it an important state? I think it's a state where the Labor Party feels like it's underperformed throughout, uh, basically since the Hawke era. And they see the popularity of, uh, the as I've written in our notes here, the Chad-like popularity of McGowan in WA, particularly amongst older voters and traditional Liberal Party voters and swing, swing voters in general. And I think they can see it as a real opportunity to, pinch a few seats from the uh, Liberal Party and maybe not even get involved in Queensland. Yeah. So it's 11 seats that the Liberal Party holds versus Labor's five. So clearly it is a, a, a Liberal a stronghold of sorts. Exactly. And as I said, I want to talk about McGowan a lot this podcast because I feel like he's a major point in WA still. With his popularity and the popularity of Labor in general... I think surely the Labor Party can see this state as a way that it can bring back a fair few votes. Yeah, well, and and seats is the key thing, isn't it, And seats, sorry, Um, yeah. Yeah, so maybe one or two for them there. And then, of course, there's the the Teal Independent issue in Curtin, which is my own seat. It's a very issue close to my heart, Rob. Yeah, so do you want to talk about a few seats, Nick, or...? Yeah, well, why don't you? Why don't we talk about Cowan first? So Cowan's the closest seat in WA, undoubtedly. Yeah. Well, right? I think it's the it's the most marginal seat in the country. It was won by literally hundreds of votes last yeah. time round so by Labor's Ann Ali. So it's held by 0.9%, uh, which is incredibly low. I think only I think Bass is actually more uh, marginal in Tasmania, right? Oh, is it? I don't know. I'm just flexing on you there, mate. It's held by uh, Nick. You've actually done some campaigning for this woman, Anne Ali. Yeah, back in the day. Yeah, me and Anne are great friends. Anne is is an amazing candidate. She's awesome. Um, but I I think she is a bit less worried these days because Cowan has been redrawn a bit. Yep. So then people think that redrawing is going to favour Labor. Maybe that's why it's gone to point nine percent. Actually, I swear it was lower before. Might have been. I'm not sure. Yeah. Anyway, it's a bit less of a worry for Labor, but if the Libs get a swing in WA towards them, Cowan is the seat that will fall to them. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, that's the thing. I feel like with the... Generally, I think there's going to be a swing towards the Labor Party in WA, and I think that's probably even uh, an accepted fact by a lot of Liberals at this point. 
They're just going to try and control that swing. Uh, I feel, still feel like it's going to be very difficult for her. Not very difficult. I still think it's more likely than not that she'll be in Cowan for the next three years. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I mean, that's good. As I've said, she's quite amazing. Quite an amazing woman, Rob. Um, but yeah, Mark McGowan's popularity is really interesting to see how that'll play into that because a lot of, you know, you listen to podcasts, you know, The Guardian and what such have done podcasts on the ground talking to voters in WA and they say things like, I was really mad when Scott Morrison called us cave people and, you know, Mark's done such a great job. People generally agree of keeping the virus out and, you know, the, the police in Canberra have just been like yelling at us. So, it, it has to count for something, right, Rob? Traditionally, there's a big divide between state politics and federal politics, but I don't know. Yeah, I feel like that has to have changed over the last... Particularly in this state, with how um, much, uh, as um, my local member, Patrick Gorman calls it, East Coast liberals have been attacking McGowan himself. And this isn't just, you know, uh, you know, Gladys Berejiklian and such. This has come from Scott Morrison and his support of Clive Palmer in the um, High Court. That's right. There's yeah, lots of that. things that I think West Australians probably haven't forgotten about, particularly in a seat like Curtin. These are young families, generally, the northern suburbs of Perth, like Nolamara, Balladura, Morley, uh, mainly young young families who would have absolutely supported um, Mark McGowan's hard border, I'd imagine, for the most part. So... I think it's more likely to be held by an alley. Yeah. And then if Labor does so well that they actually make a gain, Rob, the first seat that they're looking to pinch is Swan, the seat of Swan. Yeah. So that covers areas of South Perth, like Burswood and such, um, and is held on a margin of 3.2%. Is that right? That is correct, Nick. Well done. It's formerly Kim Beasley's seat as well. So like it has, it's, it has a history of being a swing seat for sure. Um, and 3.2% is not a huge margin. No, so, it's not. It's definitely gettable. And yeah. as I said, this is this is the state that I think WA uh, that um the Labor Party is really targeting. Look, they launched their campaign here in Perth. They're really, really trying to piggyback off uh, McGowan's popularity. So I think this will be you know at Labor Party HQ one of the biggest seats that they'll target. Full stop. Yeah. Well, Labor's strategy is really interesting because. We'll talk about Queensland later. It's such an important state, obviously, later in the campaign. But they did so, so bad out there last time that they're wanting to uh, go fairly uh, safe or have a safe strategy in Queensland. They're not going too ambitious. They're looking to pick up maybe one or two seats. And then it's these other one or two seats in other states that are going to be really key to their campaign. So we already saw last week in Victoria, one or two seats would do quite well for them in Victoria State, which they already do pretty well in any way. And if they can get Swan... And you know, maybe another seat here. I think they'd be very happy. Yeah, absolutely, Nick. Um, it'll be very interesting to see what uh what happens in Swan because it is, it will be a big point on election night. I think because I I can't see how that gap doesn't at least tighten a little bit. Best case scenario is for the Libs. I think it tightens a little bit and they still win, right? Yeah, yeah of course. Um, I don't think they can hold. They can hope. Slash would uh, would hope to get Cowan to be honest, yeah. Because in, in, you know they they know this election is going to be close. They just if they could hold on to anything everything in WA, I think they'd be happy. Yeah, WA doesn't change. That's ideal for the Liberal Party, really. Yeah, for sure. 
And the next seat, Rob, is Hasluck. So if Labour do really well, they might looking be looking at a seat like Hasluck. Hasluck and also uh, Pierce. Yeah, true. Pierce as well, yeah. So these two seats are uh, like kind of semi-rural seats. Hasluck's out near the airport, um, suburbs like Ellenbrook. Ellenbrook's the big population centre of Hasluck. It's held by Ken White, who's the current um, Indigenous uh, Minister for Indigenous Affairs. Yeah. Uh, he's an Indigenous man himself, yeah. uh, member of the Liberal Party. Uh, and I, from what I've heard on, on that Guardian podcast and on the ground in Ellenbrook and Hasluck is that he is quite, person, personally, he's quite a popular person. But the Liberal Party and the uh, Liberal Party versus ALP, uh, ALP is much more popular. Again, pointing to McGowan's popularity and uh, as Patrick Gorman would put it, East Coast Liberals not helping out the battling few in Ellenbrook, you know? Yeah, and... Rob, flip side of that is a seat like Pierce, where Christian Porter, who was the previous holder of that seat, completely disgraced, obviously. Um, well, it disgraced in the eyes of many. How many were disgraced in the seat of Pierce itself? That'll be the key issue, really, because they have to pick a new liberal member to run in that seat. Do you have who that is, Rob? I don't even know. Uh, yeah, just give us one second. Uh, so the liberal in that seat is uh, Linda Aiken. Yeah, um, right. Okay. But, oh, just a big unknown, right? Massive unknown. And especially when you go from a big name, held it by you know, 6% essentially, to now a nobody, running up against former mayor of Wanneroo. Her name is uh, Tracy Roberts. Yeah, and she has quite a big profile in that seat. And yeah, exactly. So... You know, Wanneroo is, is the major um, local council of that area. And also another thing is this area has been redrawn big time. Um, it's chopped off a lot of the like real, really rural parts of it. Yeah. And now it's those semi-rural and uh, kind of north of Joondalup um, suburbs in, of Perth. So it'll be very interesting to see um, how that affects the demographics of the vote. And you'd imagine the less rural a seat gets, the less likely it is to vote for the Liberal Party. Yeah, well, you know, this seat, I, I believe, Rob, previously was in a much higher margin than 5%, but as it's been redrawn and as they reallocate the margin based on info from polling centres, it's dropped to 5%, which is, you know, within reach if Labor does well. I mean, that was the thing with when we were talking about um, Christian Porter all the last year, I think it was, during the uh, Brittany Higgins scandal and all that came out uh, about Liberal Party members. Uh, we were talking like in, there's no way he loses his seat even if he if he wants to stay because it's just too safe. But that's tightened up big time. Yeah. But with that said, this is a seat that's been held by the Liberal Party throughout its entire history since 1990. So, a lot of so, work for Labor. Yeah. He, I, it would be an absolute landslide if the Labor Party can secure Pierce and Hasluck. If they get Pierce, Hasluck, a swan as well... Huge win for the Labor Party, right? It's well, they they win the election if well, they yeah, get those. Yeah, well, you would think, yeah, if and that's happening some. in WA. Well, Rob, may, maybe, maybe not. Maybe Mark's popularity is so strong in WA that WA weirdly just has a huge Labor swing, but you don't see that in other states. That could be really interesting because you know Labor needs more than three seats to form government. So that will be interesting to see, Nick. Um, yeah. We'll have to wait till election day. We can't really quantify what Mark McGowan's popularity will do at a federal level. Yeah, for sure. And another just final seat to talk about, Rob, is Curtin. 
And this is a teal independent seat. And it's so your seat as well. It is my seat. And what What are you hearing on the ground, Matt? Oh, I, I'm hearing on the ground that like Kate Cheney has a lot of support. So the incumbent Liberal MP is Celia Hammond and she took over from Julie Bishop, very popular, obviously, in 2019. Celia Hammond does not have the same kind of profiling curtain. She wasn't even Julia, Julie Bishop's uh, pick for the seat. It was a faction thing. So I think it had to go to uh, Celia Hammond. And I think the Liberals wanted to put a woman in there as well. So Celia Hammond, who's just a backbencher, and really I just haven't seen anything about her in Parliament over the past three years. So I, she's coming at a, you know, a disadvantage from that end as well against Kate Cheney, who's very well known in the community, has a lot of grassroots support, funding from um, Climate 100, Simon Holmes Accord, right? You're seeing heaps of signs all over the place for Kate Cheney. And it was really funny to watch that happen because there were signs for Kate Cheney all of a sudden everywhere. And then the people at Celia Hammond's office realized they needed to arc up a bit. And then slowly over time, Celia Hammond's signs started to show up around the place as well, next to the Kate Cheney signs. So I live in a pretty safe electorate and I drive through Curtin quite a bit because a lot of my friends live out there and a lot of my commitments are out in the seat of Curtin. And it, it is the most uh, posters I've ever seen. It, every They're single corner. Man. It is Initially, it was just Kate Cheney. Then Celia Hammond started popping and yeah, up. Yeah, now all the blokes got that. Now it's like the UAP guy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, It's a woman actually running in the UAP. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Curtin. But anyways. Yeah. And the Labour guy. And the Greens as well. But um, yeah. it's a very interesting seat, to say the least, that uh, this used to be the safest seat in the country. Yes. Yes, this is true. Uh, for the Liberal Party. And maybe even full stop. Yeah, I think it was full stop the safest seat in the country for a while. If someone other than a Liberal liberal wins this seat, that'll be a major change. So it'll be a fundamental change to how lower house politics works. Because the Liberals will be reliant. You'd think if they win a seat like Curtin, they're going to win. Other independents will win across the country as well against the, the other Liberal MPs. Yeah. And the Libs will be relying on these independents. Well, you know, this first scenario, they'll be relying on the independents to guarantee supply and they'll have to negotiate a coalition between the Nats and these very progressive independents, which you can just imagine how, how is that going to work. The other scenario is these independents form a coalition with Labour. And I think we talked last week about how problematic that might be for the independents, how, you know, if they come from a very liberal seat, how can they justify to their constituents they're going to form a government with Labour, even though that's the best way they're going to deliver their policies. It's yeah. very interesting, Rob. I mean, if, if the independents win and they become pivotal on election night, that'll be really interesting to watch. And again, this is much like the McGowan factor, a big unknown. We No one really knows how these independents will actually play, not only in Curtin, but across the country. You see in these traditional blue ribbon uh, rich Liberal Party voting seats, uh, the rise of these blue independ- uh, teal independents, sorry. Yeah. And what will that mean for the Liberal Party long run? If these guys, if they win and they lose and they have to deal with what the Labor Party's been dealing with, of a demographic, you know, pull to each side, anti-climate change, pro-climate change, um, it'll be very difficult for the Liberal Party to continue along its current policies towards uh, climate action or climate inaction. Yeah, reality. yeah, no, I absolutely make that clear. And yeah, just going back to young people as well, Rob, 
I can just imagine a scenario where you have a lot of families in Curtin where young people are seeing stuff about Kate Cheney, you know, what's this about? Other people are telling them, hey, you know, vote Kate Cheney. She cares about climate change, which is an issue a lot of young people care about. And then their parents say, hey, you know, they have a discussion there. And, you know, parents who have voted liberal their whole lives don't see voting Kate Cheney as too much of a break from that. They see it as a protest vote against the liberals. And they're more than happy to vote for someone who has, you know, comes from a very well respected business background. Um, I, I just can really see that unfolding. Can it get to, you know, the 15% margin? That's the big if, but I, I reckon she has a decent chance. Yeah. If if I had to make a prediction though, I think Celia Hammond's gonna win, man. I don't know. I really don't know. I, I yeah, I would I think it's a fifty fifty for me. Yeah. I'm less optimistic. Anyways. So I bring the optimism, Rob. You yeah, bring as the usual. Hard facts. If you want to bring more optimism into your life, you should follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Unrepresentative and at Swill Podcast on Twitter. And Rob, just a reminder as well, we will be live streaming election night. Oh, yes. So uh, that'll be really fun. I think down here as well. In the dungeon. Yeah, we might crack a few drinks after a little while, Rob, depending on how things go. We might have to, yeah. Um, But we'll be following all these races. It'll be really fun to see. And we hope you can all join us for a bit. Yeah, hopefully. We'll see you next week as well, where we'll discuss Queensland, I think. Yeah, Queensland's on the table. Awesome. See you then.